What is up, everybody, and welcome to the Keeping It 1000 podcast. I'm your host, Adam Manas, and I'm joined by my co-host, former Denver Nuggets coach, George Carl. Coach, how you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, getting ready for the playoffs. I guess we're, that's where we're at that stage, you know? I think we have one more show, maybe maybe one or two more shows before the Nuggets start the playoffs, which is kind of crazy. Um, everything happening so fast, I think, over that over the next four weeks the Nuggets have several back-to-back still on the schedule so it's going to be a sprint to the finish it's a marathon with a sprint at the end um, so it'll be exciting today we're presented as always by DraftKings Sportsbook America's top rated sportsbook app you can use promo code DNVR when you download the app um, all right coach the topic last we spoke this is always so tough because last we spoke one of I think the most optimistic times uh, that I've ever felt as a Denver Nuggets fan Aaron Gordon coming over, you compare, you said he was one of the best defenders you'd ever seen. I think the best college defender you had seen since Bobby Jones. That's going back. Mm-hmm. Everything was looking good. Nuggets get on an eight game winning streak. Everything's a high. And it feels like a lot of that has come crashing down with the Jamal Murray, the news that Jamal Murray will miss, not just the rest of this season, but probably a majority, if not all of next season, I think a majority of next season just what was your first reaction when you when you saw the injury or when you heard the news that it that it was an ACL? Uh, it wasn't a good feeling. Uh, I you know I I watched it in person and um, you know you're not, you you're not there, but you could kind of almost tell there was something bad happened. Uh, and then I didn't sleep well that night, basically because I was flashbacking to Gallo. Wow. And, uh, you know, the combination of that year and, you know, you know, kind of like what you're talking about. That year, we were on a big high. We're playing great basketball. We're beating a lot of teams on the road and playing good. And Gallo goes down and then filter in Fareed and uh, Ty sprain their ankle a week later. And then I, I get fired and I, I lose my job. And, it's, you know, this, you know, you don't, you don't get on a joyful basketball ride in the NBA very often. Right. And, right. and that, that could have been, um, I, that could have been for me, you know, as, as happy as I've been in basketball, probably maybe in my career, because it, I came back from cancer, I was recovered, the mellow trade on and, and then we're playing great. And it, it was sad. I mean, I was sad for Jamal. Because, you know, as a coach, I mean, when one of your guys, you're part of him growing up and maturing and becoming an He's not an all-star yet, but at least he plays at an all-star level. Right. Um, you're a part of that. So you're like, you know, you're not family, you know, the circle, the inner family, but you are a part of the basketball family. And I, I've never felt that I, I knew what to say in those moments. Right, right. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to tell a kid that, you know, you're going to be sitting on your butt for a year. And you don't, you know, this is not right. It's not fair. Um, 
So, you know, it was, uh, it was about, I don't know, I was in a funk for two or three days, maybe, maybe a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, and I, you know, I told one of my betting friends last night to bet on, bet on the Nuggets. There's no way they're going to lose tomorrow night, last night's game. Right. I mean, there's just too much, there's too much of a, the basketball heart and soul is in this moment for the, not only for, you know, for Jam Jamal individually, but for the basketball team to come together. And, and at this time of the season, a, a good team come, knows how to come together. And this team has probably played better when it's been pressured to come together. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, it changes your preparation for the playoffs a little bit because you got to be a little more concerned maybe about your team as much as your opponent. Right. And you're in a scenario where you don't know who your opponent's going to be probably for at least another 10 games, maybe a longer. It right. could go it, it could go down to the last three or four games of the season to determine who you're going to play, even though I think it just looks like it's L.A. Lakers somehow, some way. It does feel that way, yeah. yeah. That's a tough break. But, you know, we're going to have plenty of time, I think, to to kind of look ahead at that playoff matchup. I want to go back to what you said. You told your, you know, a gambling friend take the Nuggets last night. I'm kind of surprised by that because I wasn't sure what to expect from the Nuggets. You know, they had just played six games in nine nights. I think Jokic had started to look mentally exhausted and and so I was not surprised, you know, or, or I thought those last two games they lost the back to back. I was not too surprised that, you know, he was starting to look just frustrated. Um, but, but all of the emotions you feel in that moment, a little anger, a little bit of sadness. Um, you feel like that more often than not manifests itself in a positive way. A team galvanizes themselves, at least for one game. Well, you know, um, you know, just from my standpoint of the reason playoff basketball is so much fun to watch is there in, there's, there's very little distraction going on on your team. Most NBA teams are, have a, cha a championship pedigree to try to contend, have a way of having good focus. And playoff basketball is intense focus and then, and then intense participation. So, you know, you don't have those laws where it looks like your team's asleep a little bit. Everybody's ready to play in playoff basketball. And even though last night's game wasn't a playoff game, it was a very meaningful game to the Denver Nuggets. Absolutely. And it has a power. And I, I just felt that – being at the, on the home court, the first game without Jamal, you know, I'm sure there's somewhat of a rallying cry behind Jamal and, and this win for Jamal. It's, it's uh, you know, let's keep the ball rolling because that's our jobs right now. So I felt that way. I disagree with all the hype right now of seven games and 11 nights. At the end of the season, you want to be playing basketball. Basketball is easier than practice. Basketball is more valuable. And so right now, basically, in the NBA, you're playing basketball games. There's not much, there's not much practice to it. 
the fatigue comes from travel. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I'm not, I'm not load management at the end of the season. I want to win games. I want to see. Uh, I think the good thing going right now is you got, they have a winning personality right now, even though I wish there would be some wins against better teams in there, some quality wins. But in the same sense, players don't look at quality wins as probably as much as, right. you know, analysts and, and uh, guys like me, coaches. But do you think, I mean, I tell me if you dif- disagree with this. I thought Jokic has looked mentally and physically drained over these last few games. This last one aside, you know, played great in this last one. But the frustration, some of the fouls, some of the missed shots, and I think just his expression, the way he's carried himself, to me, he looked like he was wearing thin. So I agree. I'm, I'm sure players don't like long breaks off, but they had to make up that game against Detroit, which made already a compact part of their schedule even more compact. Do you, you know, you do you feel like you saw any fatigue on Jokic, physical or mental, over those that stretch of bad basketball the Nuggets played? I thought it showed in the in the Celtic game, in the Golden State game, in the second half. Yes. Um, there was some personality in both those games that scared me a little bit. The turnovers in the Boston game, uh, no one answering the bell when when they got punched uh, in the Boston game. The reaction. Um, in that game was offense. Their, their offense was very bad. Their offense created good, de- their bad offense created good offense for Boston. The momentum of the game got crazy. Boston has some talented offensive right. players. No one's that, no one came in and got physical defensively. No one took, no one made a good shot or took control of the momentum offensively. And then the next night against Golden State or they, they kind of did the same thing in the second half. Their offense in the second half of the Golden State game, the mentality of trying to outshoot Steph Curry when he's hot right. is just insane. And I don't know, in the first, in the beginning of the second half, I think like six of their first eight shots were three-point shots and quick three-point shots. And that didn't, that bothered me mentally. But, you know, it's a long season. And, and then, of course, the Jamal Murray injury at the end of that game, Golden State game, might have woke him up a little bit. I could see where you're saying he got fatigued. I, I, thought, I saw some body language frustration in Jokic in both those games. Um, and maybe he is feeling the stress of it. I mean, there's no question that I mean, he's he's gonna he's gonna win the MVP in my opinion. If he doesn't win the MVP, he's gonna finish second or third. And but you know, I think what he's realizing is what I realized as a basketball coach is basically the NBA plays an 82 game exhibition season. Yeah, right. And the real season yeah. starts in about 17 games. The reward for that exhibition season, that 72 game this this year, is hopefully playoff seeding. But this year, you look at the West, Utah, Phoenix, Clippers, Lakers. I mean, you could take your pick. They're all tough. There's no easy matchups. 
And so I wonder if that even factors into the equation. You look at a team like Brooklyn, they clearly have not cared about this regular season. Even the Lakers, I think, taking their time getting back. And I wonder if it's becoming even more of an exhibition. Maybe it's just this year because of the shortened schedule, but it seems like teams are looking at this regular season more and more as, hey, just get through it. I think the league is going to have to address that. You know, my belief, and I've said this a lot in my time, is one, I think we should play one through 16 and not conference breakups. Oh, I agree and, with you so much. And two, we should have receiving after each round. Oh. So the, the team that wins the first seed gets the last seed in every round of, his, of the playoffs. There's got to be more reward to playing in the regular season. If, you know, if Adam wants to, you know, respect load management and all that, I think you got to give more reward to the teams that are doing it the right way or playing it the old school way and not bringing analytics and uh, load management, physiological BS into the game. I, I would go a step further. I want the top seeds to pick their opponent. I think that would add a whole other layer to all of this. If you're the one seed, you get to pick all the way down until you know the final four seed or whatever it is gets to pick. I just think it creates a new sort of rivalry. Hey, they picked us. They want us. You know, I think that'd be more fun. Yeah, that's getting a little bit playgroundish, but I agree that would be interesting. It would create a little more locker room bowl, uh, talking and playground uh, in the best way, though. Playground is the best way, but I don't think the NBA is going to go that far. But I don't think they will either. I think that, I think they got to address it, and uh, these next four weeks are going to be really. I mean, I've always felt the end of the season and the beginning of the season are so much more important than the middle of the season. Right. You know, we always thought the first 20, 25 games, you know, you kind of got to figure out definitively what your team and who your team is and what you need. And then the end of this, end of the playoff, end of the regular season is you're preparing for playoff games. And they're going to have some playoff games in the exhibition season. You know, they got the Lakers, they got the Clippers, they got Utah. Right. They got Brooklyn. I think yep. I got Brooklyn one more yep, time. they do. And so, you know, you're going to play at least some of the top, top five, top six teams in basketball. And that only makes you more prepared for the playoffs. Right. Let's go back to – got to talk about the injury a little bit more now, but I want to go back and the way I want to talk about it is go back to the Gallinari injury. Um, and when that one happened. So first of all, you mentioned that it was a joyful period for you. Was that 2013 season up until the Gallo injury, the most joyful season you would, you've had, maybe not the best in other ways, but just the most joyful. Yes. I mean, the year we went to the NBA finals, we had a lot of joyfulness after we won in the first round. Right. Because we had lost in the first round in Seattle the last two years. And so the first round we got down, we never got down, but we, uh, we went, we went to Sacramento one, one. Right. And, uh, and that was a, those were two, both games. We won both games in Sacramento to win the series, but both games were fourth quarter games, stressful games. And once we, 
got the monkey off our back or whatever. I'm sorry, whatever personal phrases. Um, you know, from that point on, we swept Houston and we played Utah. I thought a great playoff series after being Utah. And I, we played Utah like two or three times before that. Stockton Malone, you know, Peyton Kemp, that was just, uh, and Sloan and I, you know, we were all competing in an angry way. Yeah. And to win that in the game seven down to the last 30 seconds of the game. Yeah. So something I all, I'll always remember. But 2013 team just seemed to have, you know, you've coached a lot of different styles. It's not that you've had one style, but I feel like the 2013 team was the quintessential George Carl team. Fast breaking, very talented, very balanced, uh, you know, very free flowing. And to me, that's why I, I asked if it was the most joyful is it felt the most like reaching the George Carl ideal. Is that fair? Yeah, I'm 100% with him. I mean, it was it was only the only thing about that team. And, uh, and Malone has this little with their team now with uh, Jokic being the only star. And, that, you know, as as a coach, sometimes you want your foundation to be a little bigger than just one player. Mm. So every game you go in and you got to kind of fill in the blanks a little bit. And when, when that works, it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot easier when you have two or three all-stars that kind of, you know, they, they you, you kind of can, it, 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 it there's a le- little more or less decision-making to find the five guys or six guys that you're going to ride with that night. And uh, I think that's where Malone's going to be probably in the playoffs. I still think they're going to win games. Uh, if they were playing a real, you know, like a lower seed, I would think they should be favored to win playing games. But if they draw the Lakers, that's going to be a different story. When going back to Gallo, when he got hurt, I think it was against the Mavericks. When he got hurt, did you know immediately it was going to be a season ending injury? Or did you play the game and say, we'll find out later? What was the immediate response? Uh, I knew he was hurt. I mean, the angle, I was on the angle that I saw was knee buckle. And, you know, we've seen videos that ACLs happen when you, you hyperextend the knee. And his was really hyperextended. I mean, it was, it was bad. And his yelling. I mean, there, there are injury yells. And there are, what the fuck is going on? Yellows and then Gallows very early. Gallows was, you know, he, he was scared, and uh, you know, and then I always look at the, I always look at the trainer. I always look at. I'm sorry about my dog, Teddy. Uh, I always look at the trainer's face when they come back, and when I looked at Jim Gillen's face, I knew he was hurt. I knew he was hurt bad. And then, I mean, no one even talks about the story that it took Gallo two years right, right. to get back on the court. I mean, how we handled that, I still don't, I still don't know all the stories because I wasn't there. Right. right. But, you know, he went up to, he went up to Vail and then he didn't get the surgery and then he came back and then he went up. I was just going, what the hell is going on here? With, 
you know, that team was so balanced, as I mentioned, was, did you feel Gallo was the best player on that team? Did it make sense to even talk about that team as a best player? I think he was our best consistent offensive player. Yes. Uh, Ty was our motor. Andre was our soul. Gallo was our guy that we thought we could get 20 out of almost every night. And everybody else kind of figured it out. And, uh, you know, Corey Brewer had a great year for us off the bench. And, uh, you, know, you know, we had good play all over. Iguodala actually played. For, for me, I liked Iguodala. I lo- Iguodala drove a lot of my coaches crazy. But I like the guy that I can put anywhere on the court and he'll stop the guy. Right. Or he'll, he'll disorient or confuse the player he's defending. And that's why I like Aaron Gordon for this team. And Aaron Gordon's not playing great right now. But he is a, he is a foundation, a foundational piece to a playoff basketball team. No matter, I mean, if you trade Aaron Gordon to any playoff team, he could be useful right. there. And now you're, we, I'm sure we're going to talk about who's going to pick up the offense of Jamal. And some of that's going to go to Eric Gordon, but I still think the foundational personality for the playoffs will be him being a defensive factor in the game. Sticking with Gallo for just a second, what happens in 2013 with a playoff run if Gallo doesn't get hurt, in your opinion? How, how good could uh, that- My opinion my opinion is we win the series. I think we win the series. We figure it out some way. And you have to remember, Gallo also has a fourth quarter mentality. I mean, he's not as good as Jokic. I mean, he's not as good as Jamal. But Gallo was one of our better fourth quarter players. And Gallo had the courage to take a big shot and make a big shot. And, and the three ball got blown up. When we lost Gallo, we lost our guy that, and we were we were awful. We were an awful three point shooting team. We were like I think 29th in the league. And when we lost Gallo, everybody in the world knew we weren't a three point shooting team. Right. And so we we were playing the best three point shooting team in the history of the game, and that's a fact. As we know now, better now than back then, the three ball is becoming really important. Did you have any sense that that Warriors team was a sleeping giant? I mean, they were good that year, but did you have any sense that they were a dynasty in the making back in 2013? The one thing I talked about in that series that I, I really realized was how I, it was just beginning because the, the key to that series that no one wants to talk about is David Lee getting hurt. Right. David League is heard in game one early, I think. Yeah, game one early, first half. And all our defensive philosophies on how we're going to disrupt their three-point shooting and if we have to double-team Steph, the guy we were going to leave open was David Lee. And if he makes the 17-footer, we figured that out in the fourth quarter. And But then they put Harrison Barnes in the game. We don't have Gallo. And all of a sudden, we're starting Fournier, and they're they're young, they're they're as athletic as we are, and we all of a sudden are somewhat of an immature team. 
And Fareed didn't play, so we were playing again a, a different rotation in the front court also. And so we were like, like, like uh, in a lot of ways, Missing Gallo was going to be a little bit like Jamal, but Jamal is probably a better player than Gallo. Right. But on our, in our personality of that team, Gallo might have been our best player. The Keeping It 1000 podcast is provided with limited commercial interruption thanks to our partner, DraftKings, the presenting sponsor of this show. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 on free bets. Turning $1 into $100 is simple. Pick any basketball team to win their next game, and if during that game the team you uh, of your choosing hits a single three-pointer, you bring home $100 in free bets. That's 100 to 1 odds on the team of your choosing to hit a single three. The Nuggets average like 15 threes a game. Pick the Nuggets. They haven't gone without a three-pointer for 30 years. This is a can't-miss bet to turn $1 into $100. Um, DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. And use promo code DNVR when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. You mentioned David Lee. I just I, I had an argument with somebody online. This was months ago. I, I I said I think Jokic might be the best dribble handoff big I've ever seen, and somebody told me David Lee was far better. And I'm just curious if you have an opinion. Running the dribble handoff game, who would you take, David Lee or Jokic? Oh come on, man! I'm close. David Lee was good, but you know David Lee. I don't know. I don't think he ever made an All Star team. And David Lee was, you know, you 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 could leave him open. He, I mean, he made he had nice way he made shots, but most of the night, and his passing wasn't even close. I mean, I David Lee was a good pass, good athlete. I mean, Jokic is a great is a great passer. I just some part of my I sometimes I use this show as a vehicle to settle debates amongst my friends. So that's that's what that was. I just had to settle a debate that I fortunately I just won. Um, let's go back to Jamal Murray now. What do you think the team is going to miss most about him uh, in the playoffs? In the playoffs? And there's no question. His fourth quarter presence. Yeah. His courage in the fourth quarter. His ability. I mean, what's funny about it is I have been amazed how many times this season the Nuggets are down seven with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And they win the game easy. They'll lock down three threes in a row, make a defensive stop, get a three-point play going to the rim, and they play great ball. And most of that's because of Jamal and Jokic. Uh, and the only reason they're competing in that Golden State game is their history right. in the season. Right. Because that game was, what, 17 or 18? It was bad, yeah. And, and then it gets to the point where they, they're still in it. Right. And, you know, if he makes that shot, I think it cuts it to three. I don't think they win the game, but they're scaring the hell out of Golden State. It's funny you say that because you're right. It is their history. I think, I think a lot of people say, oh, you're not coming back. But Denver had come back so often in fourth quarters in large part because, like, unbelievable. Said, they have a two-man game that gets you a great look 
And, and two guys, I love that you said courage. Cause I think that, I think that's right. I think what they will miss most from Jamal Murray is his courage, you know, under pressure. They were a team that had tremendous courage last year down three, one twice. Um, and you know, a lot of guys, deserve there was, that, but he deserved as much as anyone. Jamal Murray deserves more credit. And that's and the last, what happened last year, Jamal Murray, Jokic was great, but Murray was off the charts. I mean, I mean, he's above great. I mean, a couple yeah. of those games, I mean, you're talking about, you know, you're talking about elimination games. Players usually react very poorly to getting punched in an elimination game. Right. I mean, the whole thing about elimination games is you don't want them because they create stress, they create pressure, and to live in that bubble as long as they did last year, pretty impressive stuff mentally. Do you think that the team needs to – I asked Michael Malone this. Do you think the team needs to to discover a new identity over the course of these final 17 games? Is that too short of a time? How much do you have to adjust the personality of the team now that you're missing a key cog? I don't think you want to, I think that's too strong of a personality of of, um, finding a new personality at this moment. I've always felt when you lose one of your best players is it's, it's a committee. It's filling in the blanks by committee, not by just one person, you know, Aaron Gordon, if we could average five more points a game, that helps you. Um, Morris and Fosu, you know, they're going to score some numbers. I don't think it's going to be the points is going to be a problem. Their offensive efficiency most of the year, even though in the last few games, I think they've been slowed down a little bit more. Their pace has gotten slower instead of faster. I, I don't know if that's good or bad. My, my heart says it's bad. But playoff cup basketball knows it's going to be a little bit slower. So maybe it's good. Um, But I don't think it's it's going to be a dynamic personality change. Some guys got to step forward. Some guys are going to take responsibility. But the truth of the matter is it's going to be by committee. And one night it might be Morris. Um, One night it might be Gordon. One night it might be Will Barton. You know, it's going, but they have good players that have the ability to play a big time game. The problem is Jamal has that ability to do it more almost every game. And I'm not sure the personality now is you're going to ask some specialness from players that might not have delivered special in the playoffs. This is, you know, we're putting on some rose-colored glasses here, but is if we try to look for silver linings here, the chemistry between Jokic and Michael Porter, do you, I mean, it, can those two develop a two-man game? It's different because Porter doesn't handle the ball like a point guard. He doesn't, you know, have that, that same feel. But can they find a different but maybe equally as potent two-man game between the two of them over the course, maybe not just of this season, but over the course of next season as well? Well, it's definitely going to help Michael Porter. I mean, he's going to be thrown into responsible areas that he's been given some sometimes, but now it's probably going to be all the time. You know, I don't think Michael Porter Jr. is not going to be in the game down the, down the stretch like he has sometimes this year. 
Um, and you're going to have to, instead of maybe having a short leash on Michael Porter Jr., you might have to put a bigger, leash, a longer leash on him, let him have some freedom to make mistakes, to find confidence in a bad game. You know, in the stretch where he played poorly, he was really bad shooting the ball. Yeah. I mean, and, and last night, I thought he had one of his most efficient games I've ever seen him have. You know, he was kind of a quiet 25 and 10. It wasn't dynamic 25 and 10. And that's, I like those games better than I like the dynamic games. Uh, so there's maturity going to happen there. I, I think what I worry about is Michael Porter Jr. now is going to be covered by one of the best defenders, if not the best defender, on a good basketball team every night. Yeah. I, and I don't know how he handles that. He's wanted it. I mean, how about Kawhi Leonard on, you know, Kawhi Leonard covering Michael Porter Jr. 80% of the time, he's going to realize he's not going to be a great player. He's going to have to work hard to just be a good player. And Kawhi Leonard is already guarding him. But to your point, when your primary concern is the Jokic-Murray two-man game and your secondary concern is Michael Porter, that's different than when your primary concern says, hey, shut down that guy and we'll worry about all the other pieces, you know, as they happen. So he's definitely in for that. And I think especially in the playoffs, there's something to the regular season. The game still is a free-flowing game in the playoffs. Teams will really key in on him, I think. And I'm excited no to see how he handles that. Um, what have you seen from him, though? Because I feel like he's played the best basketball of his career over the last six weeks or so and is improving. Do you see a similar improvement from him? And, and are you impressed at all with, with where he's at right now? If you take out the Boston and the Golden State game, I'd definitely say you're right on. Right, yeah. But in Golden State game, he had some shot selection that was as bad as it was when he was a rookie. It's true. He still has the ability to go back to that that immature. I want. I need a shot. I want to score. I haven't scored. I need a touch. Um, but last night, and that never occurred. But the game was somewhat under control most of the night. Um, you're just talking about the little nuances of a young player growing up, and the best way to do that is playing in the playoff basketball. I do wonder just how much, you know, next year you have to imagine he becomes the second, the second piece. He'll be that right now, but I think next year, maybe even design a little bit of, uh, of your offense around him and, and, and tailor things more to him than what you would have had Murray stayed healthy. So I, I'm curious to see how that goes. Aaron Gordon though, what you said, you haven't necessarily, you made it sound like you haven't necessarily been impressed with him recently. What have you, what have you thought about his first nine games with the Nuggets? I would like to see him more of involved, more assertive. Uh, you know, he seems like he's okay being the third or fourth fiddle in the band. And uh, I, I want him to be angry. I want him to be more offensive oriented in the games. Uh, I think he's got good skills. Uh, and now he's kind of trying to fit, find his way rather than demand his way. Um, but that, that can come. I mean, he's only been with the team, what, 10, 12 games? I don't know what it is, but that's not a lot of time. And they've won most of them. Right. So 
you know, so, okay, he doesn't play well, but he wins. So he doesn't, he might, he might need to be, you know, embarrassed a little bit more than he has been because they're winning games. He comes from a franchise that has never won probably nine out of 10 games. Right. And now he's on that joyful role of, I'm in a no place. I have a chance. I'm going to play in playoff basketball. I'll take my time. I, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm just going to be, be patient with this. But I, I'd like to see him to be a little more urgent, I guess would be the word I've used. Offensively? Yeah, and demanding himself to be even more assertive defensively, too. Okay. I mean, there are times in the in that Boston game, it didn't look like anybody was playing defense in that game. Hey, Jason Tatum drove by him and dunked on him in the fourth quarter in a, on a play that was, hey, <laughs> you were brought in to not let that – thing happen if you're out on a wing don't get dunked on um but you know i thought his defense was very good early on his first three or four games i think it tail tailed off a little bit the next three or four games offensively you know i think there were a lot of reasons why jeremy grant left denver and that some of them have been publicized i have heard one of the ones that has been less talked about was he didn't like his role on the team and he was way down the pecking order last year offensively What lessons are there to learn from that to say, hey, we had, you know, Jamal Murray, we have Jokic, we have Michael Porter, we've got all these guys that can score. What lessons are there to say, how do we make this guy feel involved with maybe not altering too much because he needs to fit in with all the other guys offensively? Well, unfortunately, you're not in control of the information that's going through his head. Right. The person that's in control of that is an agent or a, a high school coach that's telling him he's not getting enough touches, that you're, you can do this and you can do more. I think you can just show him that, you know, winning is more important than your numbers. Being on a winning team is going to get you a bigger contract mm. than, bigger, than bigger numbers. Most players don't believe that. Because agents are telling them it's not the truth. I still believe it's the truth. I, I've said it many times to my teams. Hey, gentlemen, we're all, we're all going to get paid if we win. You know, and, and I really still think the nature of the game is winning is why we play the game. And when you win, you'll be rewarded. Yeah. A couple last questions I have for you here on Jokic and you know, he's been frustrated here recently. I think I talked about the fatigue, but he started to talk to officials more than he had, I think, most of the season. It had been an issue in years past. Do you feel, first of all, do you feel like he gets a tough whistle? I do not. I do not. You know, he, he plays in slow motion. Referees are pretty damn good unless they get sped up. And that, that's why I think athletes, get more fouls. Speed gets more right. fouls. Yep. Collisions get more fouls. Uh, and the numbers you're throwing out with Embiid and Harden and, you know, those guys are experts at creating collisions and creating fouls. So I, I'm a little nervous of you trying to play with the minds of referees. I think they got a difficult job. They do it at a high, high level of excellence but they do make mistakes. And, and I'll be honest with you, how Jokic plays, he wants flow, he wants rhythm. He wants a, he wants a feel of freedom 
he doesn't want the game to be a lot high whistle game. He wants the game to have a, a, a kind of a music playing. It feels good out here. Isn't this cool? Orchestrating, orchestrating it all. Is there a lesson he can learn? Is there, do you think he needs to add foul drawing to his, to his skill set, or is it kind of antithesis to the way he plays? I would not change one thing about his game ever, <laughs> except do more. Yeah. If you, you know, if you want to be more assertive, tell me. I'll get you the ball more. I mean, I mean, it's it's hilarious that people are are not admitting that he's the MVP. Yeah. He has outplayed everybody in basketball. Yeah, James Harden had a good run. Yeah, Embiid had a good run. This guy, I can't even remember the last time he played poorly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, by my count, there were two or three games all year where I thought, you know, he wasn't very good tonight. I mean, there were nights where he was better than others, of course, but bad games, they've been very, very few this year. And, you know, he had, he had some of them in his last couple of years. Right. They drove yeah. us crazy a little bit. What's that? No points? No shots, yeah. No, yeah. what's going on? Right. Um, that, that, that's interesting. Last thing I have for you, just going back to the foul call, Michael Malone referenced, you know, the team has really been banging the drum, you know, getting technicals and everything else. And he referenced there are channels that teams will go through to try to file or bring an awareness to referees. Just what are some of those channels? And what does that process look like? Uh, you know, you do a lot of video goes to the league office. And the, and the league office will always respond to your video. I, I don't know if there's a, a number of plays, but they, you can send them a, a play of 20 plays and they will send you back an interpretation, their interpretation of those plays. And they will admit to their mistakes. But in the same sense, you know, I think there's a rhythm to how Jokic plays that referees can see. He's not, he's not fast. And there's going to be more physical contact because I think when you play him body to body, that, that does shut down his passing ability a little bit more than letting him have space. So I think you're going to see more contact, more closely guarded, make him play off the dribble, kind of defensive mindset. But he's still good there. And the more the game can be free-flowing and open, the better he's going to play. The better, I think the Nuggets play better when he is a playmaker. But in the same sense, I still think I need his scoring. And in, in a crazy way, I don't know about you, I think he's the three best. I think there's, I think Jokic is, is, is the Denver Nuggets' best three-point shooter. Mm. I, I think it's going in. More often when he shoots it wide open than anybody else on the team. I'll say Michael Porter personally. His shots, they look prettier. And, and you know, I, I, I'm shocked when he misses them when he's open. But, heard, I, I can see that. I'm not – I'm not – I think Michael Porter's more right now hot and cold to me. Okay, yeah. I don't, I don't remember Jokic going cold. Yeah, doesn't go for long. <laughs> And especially when you're behind. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy to make a three-pointer when you're up 10. It's tough to make a three-pointer when you're down 10. 
I love that. I tell people this last year going into the playoffs. I said, if you look at his three-point percentages in the fourth quarter of close games, it's great. Unbelievable. He goes into the playoffs and makes 40%, and people say, oh, he got hot in the playoffs. I said, no. When it matters, he starts making them. I I know it sounds a little – it sounds like a homer, but when you watch him every game, you just see patterns, and that's one of the patterns. You have a little homer in you. Yeah, oh, you definitely oh, have a little homer. Do. I don't. I don't. I don't deny that at all. But, but with this thing on Jokic, I think I'm. <laughs> I think I'm actually right. Um, last thing, just what are you looking for here? We got two weeks before we talk again. What are you looking for with the Nuggets over this next two week stretch? I think it's going to be interesting. You know, like I know there's rumors about. I don't know what word is if where Austin Rivers is right now. You know, before I, I, I people ask me about Austin Rivers, I think I kind of feel it might be a good pickup. But in the same sense, I don't think you're going to find a savior here. Right. Yeah. The more and more and likely you're going to find the answer on the team that we have right now. Mm. And Malone is going to have to figure that out. And, you know, I think my, my gut right now, does Will Barton get more responsibility, but it's more of a combination of the bench has got to play better. My, my opinion right now, the bench has been inconsistent in its personality. And I think I'd like to see them play a little bit better. And I like Jokic to get the MVP. I think that psychologically would show uh, a respect that the Nuggets have earned. And I think the third thing for me would be Michael Porter Jr. becoming more consistent. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Coach, this was good. A, a really good conversation. Um, <laughs> there was a lot to dissect in this week. There's going to be a lot to dissect in the next show as well. And I think after that, we're in the playoff stretch. So um, nothing but good shows coming up. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review for us that helps us out. It helps grow the show and get it in front of new people. So do us a favor, take a second, open up your phone and leave a rating and review for us. And we'll see you all in two weeks.